I'm Bailey Parnell, and this is Let's Think This Through. Join me for drinks as I bring on guests for conversations that inspire, amuse, and challenge us, but in a fun and relaxing kind of way. Ultimately, it's to help us all learn and live a better, easier life. So let's think this through. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Think This Through with me, Bailey Parnell. So, Someone copies a part of your TED Talk. What would you do in this case? Well, this happened to me recently, and for context about the story I'm about to tell you, you have to know that I have a TED Talk called Is Social Media Hurting Your Mental Health? It was released on their YouTube channels in 2017, and I'm very glad to say that the talk has been seen over 4 million times. Thank you to um, wonderful messages from you and over the years, I am also very aware that it is used in classrooms all over the world. Okay, there's the context. Now, about a month ago, I got a DM on Instagram from someone whose name was um, Danish or Swedish, certainly Nordic, so from one of those countries. This man had watched my TED Talk and said to me, quote, have you seen this girl that literally copied your TED Talk? Close quote. He actually included a screenshot of the YouTube video of someone else's talk called Impact of Social Media on Youth. And then he said, quote, it makes me really mad. Now, without watching the talk, I said, all good. There's lots to say on the subject. That's actually what I wrote. Because I'm just thinking, okay, someone did a TED talk about social media and mental health, and there is a lot to say on the subject. No, but then he replies, No, she literally copied exactly what you said. I have studied both talks. So then I was like, oh, really? Okay, send me the link. And he does. Well, I watched the full talk from the other woman. And while it wasn't a carbon copy, there were absolutely many phrases, concepts, and even the talk structure that mimics my TED Talk released six years prior. So much so that I actually read comments from people that said, this copies Bailey's talk, and this is a copy of Miss Parnell's talk in 2017. Now, some of you listening have probably already had a gut reaction to this. Like many people I've told, your gut is making you think, oh my gosh, taking someone else's work without credit is deeply wrong. Like you feel it's wrong. Maybe you're angry for me. You're like, Bailey, you should tell Ted, you should have them take it down. But there was more to consider here. And honestly, true to form, I really had to think this one through because it was not clear to me what to do at first. And it still is not fully clear to me. One side of me, especially the academic in me who makes a living off of sharing my ideas, believes that taking credit for someone else's ideas without acknowledging the thinkers that came before you does feel wrong. However, Should there be consequences for this and what should they be? And should they be different for different kinds of people? And to give you further context, the woman who copied parts of my talk is a young, presumably around 18 to 20 year old black woman from Kenya who gave this TED talk through her school. Let's pretend she's about 19 years old. Now, if that's the case, it is actually very possible that she has watched my talk in her classrooms for six years, since she was about 13 years old. And my goal of giving the TED Talk was that these ideas would spread. TED's literal slogan is ideas worth spreading. So a big part of me thinks, isn't this proof? 
Like, is this proof that my idea has indeed spread? Of course, it's extremely important to me that more people know about social media and what it can do to your mental health. And so I am happy that more people and especially younger people are talking about this exact issue. That is what I want. That is literally one of the major goals of my work. So that part makes me happy. Now there's this other layer of this though, that also feels wrong. If I go to TED and I have them take it down, there's something that feels very wrong about another North American white woman who has found now in my life some educational privilege taking down the early career of another young black African woman, especially when I'm doing just fine over here and my TED talk is doing just fine. So what do you do in this case? Do you go to TED? Do you ask for credit? Do I reach out directly to her? Do I do nothing? You know, I actually haven't acted on this yet, so it is an open conversation that I'm about to have with my guest. Like much of my thinking, I like to bounce it off of others, which of course is part of the reason why this entire show exists. One friend that I actually happened to be on a trip with, completely unplanned, shortly after this was brought to me, was Miss Andrea Henry. You are going to love having a drink with Andrea. We are going to talk about the situation. We share a peak performance coach. We are both women in business and we're going to share it over a cocktail. So let's meet Andrea. Andrea, I am very glad to have you here. What are you drinking over there? I'm having a vodka cocktail only because I forgot my wine opener. So wine was the first choice, but I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I think this is going to be a great, great chat. Yes, you know, me too. And I actually did opt for the wine tonight as well. Well, Mm -hmm. as your intended plan. However, (laughs) I actually went into the fridge yesterday and I was so excited. It was Sunday night. I was going to have a nice glass of red wine. And then I think I forgot how long it has been in the fridge. And so the fact that it's in the fridge to tell everybody something, it was, it's been a while. (laughs) It went bad. Plan B. So... Yes, I'm so excited to get a new bottle tonight and talk to you. Well, now, well I'm at my office. If I was at home, I would have um, access to a fuller bar. But I think it does say something about our office that I did have a choice between wine and vodka. You're in the office and you have vodka tonics to go? Is this 1960? Right? We're like recreating Mad Men, but in an all-woman firm. <laughs> I love that, which it leads me to, can you please introduce yourself for the people? Like, how are you introducing yourself these days? Sure. So I'm Andrea Henry. I'm a business lawyer and an IP strategist um, with Henry Brooks LLP. I am obsessed with intellectual property and how we can use it to build wealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you own this firm. Andrea is a kick-ass lawyer (laughs) and... I see you online as well, helping everyone else get understand a little bit more about how their work and how their thoughts really could be something that they sell. Yeah. I love so intellectual property is anything that we as humans come up with out of our brilliant brain, right? So books, songs, you know, new inventions, courses, whatever we can create. What I love about it is that it's so egalitarian, right? So for Almost every other type of asset, if you think about real estate or, you know, stocks and bonds, you need to have money first in order to invest in those assets. You can be flat broke 
as long as you're not broke creative, <laughs> creatively, you Listen, can I've create been there. an asset. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like it. I have been, I have been flat broke and too. relying on the ideas that come out of my head. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what you're saying. That's why I now, love just it. Bef- mm-hmm. Just before this, the audience heard me tell the story about my TED talk being copied in some ways, which I know that we've had a conversation about this. And have you ever had someone copy your work? Oh, it's currently happening. <laughs> no. Like for real. So just, right now, like right now, just two weeks ago, I got a little nudge. So as you were saying, we share a peak performance coach um, who's also very into the woo woo. And, you know, I've been really leaning into following little, you know, little mm-hmm. nudges. And I had a nudge to go look at the account of a former team member that I hadn't looked at for a year. And she had blocked us on all of her accounts. So I went to have like a little alt account that I use for family stuff. So I went to that account and this young lady had like stolen a whole post and was coming up with it. I was announcing the launch of something new that I knew that she had access to and like was word for word copying it. So, Oh my gosh. The thing that I followed that, that nudge. And the thing is, I showed my business partner who knew who it was. And she's like, Oh, she's copying your posts and she's like calling, she's set up her practice in the same way as yours. That in itself, I wasn't upset with because I really feel, this is going to sound strange coming from an IP lawyer, but I genuinely feel people can copy your output, but they can't copy your input. So if someone steals a client intake form or says something in a particular way, the reason I say it that way is because that's who I am. If you copy it, it's not going to work the same way for you because it's not authentic to you right it's not it's not coming from Mm. your lived experience and education and what you're passionate about however if someone copies something you've actually created so like a course or templates or you know an invention that's where I draw the line and it's at that point that we send cease and desist letters did you yep (gasps) and this was recently yeah it's two weeks ago well, how oh, interesting gosh, that the timing, right? I know. I know. Everyone, this was completely unplanned, mm-hmm. but this is, um, you know, this is exactly when I was put in front of Andrea, uh, what was it, a month ago now on mm-hmm. our trip. Trust me, I would have talked to Andrea about anything, but she just also happens to be an IP lawyer. So imagine getting her opinion on this. Why would you copy an IP lawyer? No, because you think that you're not going to get caught, I guess. I don't know. I, I've, just I'm quite flabbergasted at it, but it's not the first time it's happened. I had, um, I was working with a marketer once who was doing some research and she's like, by the way, one of your competitors has stolen your whole, like a female sequence, like to, to the, <laughs> to the okay, letter. So, okay. So if you don't know what that is, because I know <laughs> that there's some members of my family that don't know what like a drip campaign is or any of these things, an email sequence is like when a client reaches out to me or reaches out to Andrea, you're going to get that first initial response from the company, like when you fill out a contact form. Then maybe you answer the first two questions. Then you get a really special email back. 
All yeah. of this can be automated in a sequence. And Andrea, are you telling me that an email sequence is IP? Yeah. Oh, yeah. An email sequence is oh, IP. What? Absolutely. Because what are you doing in your email sequence? You're introducing that client or customer to what it's like to work with you. And you're showcasing your brand. You're showcasing your values. Like that, an email sequence, whether it's marketing or whether it's client intake, is a really strong part of your brand and your procedures. It's absolutely IP. Hmm. And once again, okay. very strong cease and desist letter. Threaten. And this is the thing. If someone copies something from you, and they make money off of it, at law, you're entitled to all of their profits. Mm, so I just remind people right. of that in the letters. And also, again, why are you copying an IP lawyer? Like, they literally know everything to do in this case. People think so that they're how they... Yeah. True. But you know what? I wonder if it just feels different for different people because I'm noticing my reaction to what you're saying. And I have seen people have this reaction to me when I tell them about the TED Talk, even though you know that I've thought through different yeah. aspects of it now. But like, how did it, like two weeks ago, how do you feel? Like, how did it make you feel when you first saw this? Yeah. So I'm really working on seeing the silver lining and everything. So my first thought was actually one of pity, right? I was like, it's so sad that you're not able to come up with your own ideas and follow your own passion. Like I knew what this young lady was interested in. It was something that she could have built a practice off of. I was like, you would have been much better off and it would have come across. Remember, um, Bailey, one of the things that we learned at, at the retreat in Arizona was that whole study about the vibrations coming off of the human body. And if I remember correctly, the number one vibration was authenticity. Hmm. So if you steal someone else's work, it backfires because however beautiful the email sequence is, they eventually have to meet you, right? They eventually have to be delivered services mm -hmm. by you or by your team. And if that's not really reflective of who you are, it's going to be jarring to your client or customer. So really it was, I think that this was, you know, done because they thought it was well done, but it, it doesn't help you in, in the long run. I feel differently about actual creative products because here's the thing. If you sell a template or a course or anything that's standalone, I'm not interacting with the client necessarily. That's something that someone can do on their own. That, if you copy it, is actual theft. And so for me, that's where I draw the line. Some people draw it earlier, but for me, I tend to use a couple of, you know, copy a couple of posts. Yeah you're very heavily inspired by the particular way that I do business. I chalk that up to the universe will deal with that. But if it's a do yourself, <laughs> you know, that's where you don't have the opportunity to interact with the client and show your distinctiveness. And so that's something where I won't let that slide. Right. No, you know what? It makes, it makes perfect sense too. And I feel like I struggle with this a little bit because we've, in a way, I for sure, and I know that parts of your role, increasingly so, are thought leadership. Yeah. Like we do, we both do speaking, um, writing, teaching, and and success in my line of work is quite literally that people adopt my ideas. Makes it tricky. So, it makes it it's very tricky. tricky. So here's what I tell clients. If you're a thought leader, and even if you're not, 
if you're doing content marketing, basically if you're doing any type of service, you do have to share some of your framework. Like you have to share enough for people to know who you are and trust what you do. I think a lot of it is the intention with which we share. So if you are sharing something with the intention that people adopt your ideas and that people spread it and incorporate it into what they're doing, if that's your intention, then yes, it's intellectual property, but it's not really damaging to you if someone does the thing that you wanted them to do. It's different if you're like, hey, I have a a proprietary program or a particular way of doing something, and I only want that to be available to people who have paid me to do that. Then when you're sharing, you have to be really cautious about how much you share and you give just enough that people, you know, can see what it is that you're doing. But the information is essentially behind the paywall. So it's the intention of it. You know, when people go viral, they want people to comment and stitch. And if you think about social media, they want people to stitch the videos and comment. And you're not worried about people using the intellectual property because the intent of the intellectual property was to be shared. Yeah, that is so true, especially on something like TikTok. Now, I really think social media in general has changed the nature of, oh, yeah. of what what is my knowledge and what is my yeah. way of even presenting it if I'm literally intending someone else to stitch it into theirs. That's it. That's exactly it. It's just all about the intention. Someone who is an influencer, someone who's a thought leader, has a very different intention when they're creating intellectual property than someone who is creating a course to be licensed or someone who's created an invention to be patented. Yeah. So I guess if you think back to the TED talk, that is what entered me into certainly one of the questions that I I had to wrestle with, which is on one side, you know, I think that especially the academic side of me. And I say that in earlier, the listeners heard this, that, you know, stealing someone's ideas without credit This feels inherently wrong, but you have to remember that Ted's goal is literally ideas worth spreading. Now, I think a lot about at what point is something just my knowledge? Like, you know, where does someone's thoughts end and someone's start? Because if I learned something, for example, 15 years ago and I've integrated it and I've used it and whatnot, at what point, this is kind of philosophical, is it just barely as a human who has knowledge now that I've encountered in life, like yeah. literally everything could be attributed. Yeah. There's no, what does the Bible say? There's nothing new under the sun. I have pastor's daughter, so it comes out sometimes, but there's nothing new under the sun, right? There, there is Did nothing you just that, say pastor? What did you say? Pastor's, pastor's daughter? daughter? So sometimes the okay, Bible. Okay, a little slip it in there. <laughs> so that's what it reminded me of. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says there's nothing new under the sun. Like, we are all influenced by someone else. Like, there's nothing, even if you look at revolutionary inventions like the iPhone, the iPhone itself is an amalgamation of other things that had already been created, right? It was the phone and the keyboard and video camera, Mm -hmm. whatever, right? Like, it's so often what we're doing is changing a process or changing a particular like lens through which we see something. Unless you go back to the beginning of human history, most of what we're doing now is an improvement or a slight change to something that already exists. And it is tricky, right, to figure out, like, where is the boundary? But, sorry, I'm just going to. 
We're gonna That's edit right. this out. I have I have do not disturb on. I don't know why it came through. But <laughs> listen, we have people wanting your IP all over the place. They do not know when you're recording the most interesting podcast of your life. So <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> all right, back to that. Um it is difficult it is difficult from to wrap your head around what is yours and what's a copy. And I think people, generally speaking, will give grace if there's attribution or if it's general, you know, genuinely you've gone to school for this and it's a combination of what you've been taught and lived experience and multiple teachers. That's very different from I did this course and the person made it seem really easy and now I did a new course and I just called it something different, but the modules are the same and the workbooks are the same and that's, I think, very different. And so where there's gray areas, often people struggle with claiming their intellectual property because they think, well, but this person, I learned that, you know, at the feet of this philosopher or this student, and that's what, you know, that's what influenced me to start down this path. And I don't know how different I am. So if you're bringing things together, if a lot of this is your lived experience as it applies to what you've been taught, then you've made something yours. If you are copying and pasting large chunks of what someone has taught you, that's very different. Mm -hmm. And you know what? With the TED Talk, that's what I think rubs people the wrong way because I don't know if you remember this, but I actually said to the guy when he first reached out to me, mm -hmm. I said, you know, all good. There's lots to say on this subject because listen, I was in a, I was at a holiday Christmas party last week with, for a speakers bureau. Yeah. Everybody in this room has something to say about leadership. Let's just yeah. say, or change management or yeah. teamwork. It's really your perspective on it and your, you know, literal okay. presentation of it that becomes so personal. And because there was copied elements of that. I think that's why this guy actually said in the DMs, this makes me mad. Like it makes people have an affective mm. response. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think people can tell when it's influence and when it's copying, mm. right? Because that's the mm. thing. If you're, if you're influenced by someone, you may see elements of someone else's work in it, but you're also going to see that person's personality and kind of twist or their lens on it. When people are actively copying, they copy mannerisms, they copy like the sayings down to the, the, you know, down to the letter. They'll copy stories, which are not yours, right? And so it, I think people have such a visceral reaction to it because I think as humans, we can tell when somebody's being fake. Not mm. But in those types of environments, if someone's really familiar with your work and how you present it, you can tell when someone's not just influenced by your work, but is trying to copy not just what you say, but how you say it. Mm -hmm. There's, there's got to be something, you know, really deep and psychological about this because it really makes people mad. Yeah. To, even, you know, it makes them mad even when they don't have conscious reasoning. Like if you think about, it's popped into my head, you know, thinking about my young nieces who are, you know, different ages, like seven, mm -hmm. ten. And you know when kids get so mad that they, when they feel that they're true original and they yeah. wore this thing to school and yeah. someone else copied them and wore it. And yeah. then what do you say to them? <laughs> you say, you know, how many parents, 
Yeah. <laughs> How many parents say it's a compliment, right. you know, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like a compliment. It really doesn't. And I know people say that to excuse it. And when I told my mom about it, she's like, oh, it's a compliment. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a compliment to me if I inspire you. If I can see elements of what I do, if, if, if I can see, and this has happened before and I'm fine with it, where I can see people have said, oh, Andrew did this particular thing. I'm going to use it and apply it to what I'm doing. That's fine. That's a compliment. A complete grab is not a compliment. That is a, a basis for a court case. <laughs> it's what that is. But Says no, the lawyer. That's that <laughs> whole issue of authenticity. I think we can tell, right? If we're paying attention, I think we can tell when someone is presenting something because they have come up with it or they have a particular lens on it and they're genuine than when someone's like, I watched this person and they were successful saying this thing in this way and I want to be successful, so I'm going to do the same thing. It feels different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, part of what I wanted to consider and what to do about being copied was, you know, I never actually considered anything legal and I still am not, but yeah. um, I did consider, I guess the most like legal um critical version of it would have been reaching out to Ted or would be, because I have not actually acted on this yet, would be yeah. reaching out to Ted and saying, you know, this is what was sent to me. I've read the comments. Other people are seeing this too. It's not just me. And, yeah. um, you know, can you take this down? And I um, thought to myself, yeah, so there's the elements about, yes, it feels wrong. Um, but then our coach, so to give some context here, Andrew and I are both, we both share the same peak performance coach. Dare we say, shout out Hina Khan, yeah. because who doesn't love a little credit, right? We like, That's and, right. Um, and one of the questions that was posed to me, and I'm going to pose it to you because I don't actually know mm. the answer, what, what it is for you yet in, in the case that you're going through, but it was, what would you love? Like, what would yeah. be best case scenario? And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to ruin another young woman's career, especially another young black woman's career from Africa, who yeah. for, for for which I share a lot of love for. Yeah. And and also she's talking about what I want people to be talking about. Yeah. I don't I want her to talk about this. Yeah. And so then when it was like, what would you love? I thought, well, you know what? Yeah, there is a part of me for sure. Like as humble as I am, I would like credit. You want, maybe it's part of that deep part of us. That's like, I, you want your ideas to mean something or yeah. to be there, but what would, hmm, what would you love? Because with the thing, I mean, it sounds like you've already taken some action, <laughs> but, but I still don't have the answer. You know, you see that yeah. you're, you, it, and also it was concealed from you. I mean, there's an element of this too, that's a bit different, which was you said that they blocked you yeah. on all the accounts. So it was openly concealed. Exactly. I love that phrase, openly concealed. So here's the thing. I know, I, I guess that is a, I guess that is no, a I love it though, it, it? Makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense in this context. I did ask myself, what would I love? And as I said, my business partner, who she also blocks, like she blocks everyone in my life that could possibly let me know, which is how I know it was intentional. And so I think mm. there's a different element to it where you know that what you're doing is wrong. You're trying to conceal it. To me, it's very different from someone doing something out of ignorance 
are just not understanding, you know, the correct parameters. The other thing is what I would love, like you, is to have ideas shared. So if someone's speaking about intellectual property and they're like, oh, this is a wonderful idea and I did this in my business because I was able to, you know, harness my intellectual property, wonderful. The little human ego side of me would love it if they said, as Andrea said, or Andrea inspired me <laughs> to go do this, right? I yeah, would you would. Good, right? But I certainly would, like, I would love for those ideas to get more circulated. I would not love to feel taken advantage of if I have poured energy and resources into creating an asset and have that asset then essentially stolen, that I would not love at all. (laughs) I think that's quite, and I think, again, the intention. So when I'm speaking publicly, when I'm teaching, when I'm writing, it is with the intention of those ideas to be spread. So I want people to spread them. I'd love the credit. But really the idea that the underlying mission is for that, what I want people to know is you can start from nothing and harness the brilliance of your brain and create Mm -hmm. life changing and generation changing wealth. If people are spreading Mm -hmm. that idea, amazing. That's very different from the intention that I had in creating these templates, which was to sell them. And I cannot Mm, sell them. Someone else has them and is also selling them. Yeah, which I think is an interesting kind of distinguishing factor there. If someone is copying the thing for which you make your living, maybe that's a little bit different than me sharing an idea on an open source platform that is meant to be shared with the slogan, ideas worth spreading. Yeah, (laughs) that's right in the title. (laughs) It's right on the end. Right in the slogan. Yeah. So... I guess the other thing that, um, you know, I would love if I think about it is, and that I would love in your case too, is that these other people, you know, that we assume, let's assume best intention, though it sounds like you are, you have a little bit more insight into (laughs) the intention with the concealment there, but I will assume best intentions, right? And in that case, it is very possible this person's been listening to my TED Talk since they were like let's say I don't even know, thirteen years old, yeah. and and so inspired. The best in, yeah. Oh yeah, that's best case scenario. So yeah. then, in this case, what I would love is that that's true, and that the other thing I would love is that they don't make this mistake again. Because in a way, I actually really believe that yeah. they are very lucky. It was me. Yeah, and not someone else. It could have been a. a- significant misstep with someone else and so yeah I think you can be in your higher faculties and be of abundance and still make it clear to someone for their benefit and for like the world that hey if you're going to do this it's wonderful to be inspired it's wonderful to spread ideas we are all for that there is a way to do that that is respectful to the person who's the originator of the idea or the concept or the talk. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, and, you know, maybe even like reaching out to her is another option as well. And I suppose clarifying intention, but also yeah. because there's a piece of me now that thinks, oh my gosh, what if, what if she does this in school and is kicked out of school? Like, this yeah. is what I mean. Or what if yeah. she does receive a cease and desist um, yeah. from someone else who's not me? And I could have helped her. 
this is it. I've done that, not to mention IP law, but you can let someone know that they're on the wrongs, you know, on, on their offside without you necessarily enforcing it. So in Canada, there's anti-spam legislation, which has really strict requirements around who can send you a marketing email. Not everyone knows about that legislation. And so every so often, I get emails from people that I have not consented to marketing emails and who I have not done business with, but they found the name or the address somewhere. And I send them a real, like I have, it's like a form email now, which is, I'm not going to tell anyone, but you should know that you're not supposed to do this. Here's the link to the- No, you are not. I do. Here's the link to the legislation. I'm not going to turn you in, but someone else may. And so you should be aware of this. But most people write back and thank me. They're like, I didn't know. Thank you. Some people you can tell they were just trying to get away with it and they ignore me. But I've had quite a few people be like, thanks for letting me know that I didn't know. Okay, Andrew, in my head right now, you are the superhero saving us all from spam emails. And I like I need what you write in your email back to them. I'm gonna keep it on like my Google little templates and be like, an IP lawyer told me that you do not have a right to send me this in Canada. I'm happy to share it. Yeah. But that idea. Everyone knows. Cheers to that. Not everyone knows. Superhero, <laughs> Andrea. If you tell them stuff that they well, most people. Hopefully, if we lead with that intention that someone genuinely didn't know, if I'm doing the wrong thing, I want someone to tell me before it mm-hmm. gets worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think that you are strangely acting in a place of abundance and friendliness, you know, you are acting as the person that you want to be, which is the superhero saving us all from spam emails. But also, (laughs) also you are literally an educator in this space. It would not be authentic, like to not say something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My mom, I did uh, another podcast recently and I was like, yeah, my mom was a teacher and I think I've inherited some of her genes and they were like, you don't say like, that's not glaringly obvious. Yeah. Can you see my face right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you know what? That is so wild that the professions of both of your parents have come up because now I just have to ask, like I was already going to ask, but you just gave me a nice little segue there. How does being a pastor's daughter come out in your work? Because those are things that I don't know if people would be able to connect on the surface, but everything informs us. You're an IP lawyer and an entrepreneur, which, you know, you're not just an IP lawyer from my perspective. The way I've always interacted with you is also as like a CEO, woman in business, um, supporting other women in business. How does being a pastor's daughter come out in this kind of work? The advice, I think, like the my dad was, his nickname was the professor. He just gave really good advice. He still does. He's like my secret weapon for, you know, when I'm making big moves. He's very good at listening and he's very good at helping people to see clarity. And I feel that that's my superpower as well is like getting people unstuck. So they know where they want to go, but it's like there's so many options or they can't see it. And sometimes you just need someone with that particular lens on the outside to be like, hey, just breathe and 
we're going to do this and then this and then that. I remember having a call with a client years ago and she wanted to make the switch from, um, she was an employee and she had like a little side hustle and she wanted to uh, make it full time and we're just talking it through. And I said, okay, well, from what you've said, here's where I think you may explore. And I just kind of set out like the next three things. And then there was silence on the other end of the line. This is before Zoom. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Are you still there? She's like, my head just exploded. I've been wrestling with this for six months. Mm-hmm. And like, you just fixed my whole life and business in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what I've inherited from him. And I've, I, I've seen hmm. how he thinks about when people have issues and problems and the importance of listening to figure out what's the underlying issue. Like, what are you really worried about or what are you really trying to fix? Um, and I think that informs how I practice a lot. I can absolutely see that. And of course, I can see the parts of your, your mother and teaching coming out as well. Yeah. And do you know what's interesting is when I think about both of those professions, to me, I've always said that teaching is inherently an act of love because for me, my, you know, my part of my definition of love is wanting to help the other grow, even if it has nothing to do with you. Yes. And I feel like, you know, a good pastor is similar. I think that they both act and you tell me, I don't know your parents, but they both act in the best interest of the other person. That's what those professions do. And for their, your point exactly to their growth. Like my mom used to say to me, the reason why she loved being a teacher is that moment where the child goes from not knowing and unsure to knowing and confident is like, it's like, a, oh. it's just amazing to her, right? That feeling of seeing that transition. And I feel the same thing when I, when a client gets it or they see an opportunity that they perhaps hadn't seen before and now they know they can take advantage of it and they're like, what? I had never thought about this. It just comes out of me. I was at a dinner the other day and I sat next to someone who I didn't Mm -hmm. know. We just got to chat in. I'm like, I'll just coach for no no money, no reason. Just (laughs) it comes Hmm, out. Sounds kind of like a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that moment where people get it and now see the clarity with where to go next is really addictive to me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see that for sure. <laughs> like coming out of you and just the way that you conduct yourself. <laughs> what did your now, parents do? Sorry, I'm just being over Oh, too. yeah. No, no, that's totally fine. Um, my dad, so my parents uh, split up when I was young. My dad is a salesman and sells... Um, Well, actually, when I was really, really young, they worked in grocery stores and then he sold margarine. And then um, my stepmom also worked in a grocery store and then went to, I think, produce buying. Um, And then my mom, she worked, well, you know what? Well, actually, she also worked in a grocery store at one point and a toy store. (laughs) But I think that was when I was really young. I knew her when I was a young kid. She was uh, like a dispatcher it's called so there was this Clorox you know the brand Clorox yeah of course yeah so the warehouse she would be the one that dispatched the trucks that's what that role does is like make sure that they're all coming in at the same time or at the right time yeah Yeah, and then she um unfortunately she 
had all sorts of health issues. And so she had to go and, and then cancer eventually is what, yeah. um, you know, um, yeah. uh, I suppose took her in the end, but so she had to go on sick leave. And then, um, my stepdad who came later in life was in construction. So yeah, all really all sorts. Um, yeah. very different than what I do, but, but certainly the bedrock. It's, um, it's funny. I think nothing, no knowledge is wasted and no experience is wasted. And it's, it's when I first graduated, um, so I did law school in the UK and then came to Canada. So long story, I was born here. My parents moved back to Barbados when I was six because then my dad didn't like the cold anymore. Then I went to England. Then I went to France. And then I finally came back here as, as a young adult. And when I came back, I wasn't sure that I wanted to practice law because I'd only had the experience of doing it in large um, firms. And I was like, this is not a comfortable, inviting environment for me. I felt like I couldn't really bring my whole self to work. And so I kind of bummed on my brother's couch for a few months. And then I was like, okay, I need to earn some money. And I took a job at a call center. So I was fluent in French because I had a French law degree. And I was a bilingual um, customer service rep. And my uncles were like, you have a law degree. Where are you going to go at a call center? And I was like, they pay. I get to keep my French up. It's good hours. And honestly, really, I, I credit what I learned there about customer service to being able to distinguish myself when I started my law firm. Because lawyers aren't taught customer service. Yeah. You know what? I completely <laughs> get that. <laughs> right? I and do. So, they're not taught it. They're taught how to practice. But here's the thing. Lawyers can tell if a contract is great rather than good, right? But the average person can't. The average person remembers, how did it feel? What was the experience like? Did the person talk down to me? Did I understand the process? Did I feel like I was being, you know, seen, heard, and understood? None of that was taught to me in law school. That was all taught to me in the call center. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that uh, I was going to write about this deeper at some point, but there are life lessons that I learned from my parents, all my parents, you know, sort of hard, hard working people um, that absolutely have informed not just how I work, but, you know, actually to a point that you said earlier on the show, you said, you know, people can't copy um, the, they can copy the output, but not the input. And do you know where yeah. that input came from? Groceries. Yeah, My parent. first paid job was a cashier. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it all, I suppose, man, I should investigate how, like, the <laughs> impact of grocery, sto- grocery stores in my, um, in my upbringing. But there's absolutely a level of customer service um, to it, right? Exactly. Logistics being organized, project management, like, all that comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The input, where the input comes from in IP is, or in you know, intellectual property is kind of, yeah. I think, wow, the, the beauty of life. Like in this way, everyone has IP. Absolutely. Everyone has created something. The key is that most of us don't see it. So like just now when I, you know, when you were like an email sequence is IP, there are people who oh. are amazing at bringing, at doing a client intake. I've seen or I've been through client intake processes that are a thing of beauty. And I've mentioned it to the person, you know, that I'm going through the process with. And they're like, oh, doesn't everyone do this? 
No, sweet summer child. Not everyone does this. This is. Oh <laughs> yeah, I, because it's just their zone of genius. They're just like no, so they don't see it the same way that you do. Yeah, and what's the thing with the zone of genius is because it comes so easy to it. This is why my job is hard. Because I can see the zone of genius and I can see how brilliant it is, but the person who has it doesn't see it. The things that come so easy to us, we just assume. I was that way for a long time as well. We assume that everyone else sees it a particular way because it is so obvious to us. And part of understanding and really harnessing your intellectual property, the first step is to acknowledge this is actually genius. It doesn't feel that way because it's really easy to us, but that in itself is the crux of the genius. It's mm -hmm. so easy to breathe in for us, but not everyone else sees it the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of just a natural state of being. So yeah. non-noteworthy to the person that's in it. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So changing, change, going back a little bit to the TED Talk then and yeah. to what we've been sharing almost about the input is kind of what got me thinking about it again. Um, you know that my work now, especially my doctoral work, is about generative AI. And yes. so I was just, when you said input, I'm thinking like inputting into gen AI, prompting it. That's just, <laughs> the connection yeah. was strange. But um, I thought also, which I just had this thought preparing for this show. Yeah. I was like, wait, I never even considered. What if the girl who took my talk or parts of it, what if she had generated it via GPT and doesn't even know it came from me? Wow, that would be wild. That would be wild. I know. I know. I just had this thought and I'm like, yeah. okay, well, in this case, whose IP is it? So here's the thing. Yeah, AI has opened the proverbial can of worms with respect to IP because the definition of intellectual property as it stands is that it's a creation of the human mind. Just an important distinction. So the guidance that we've gotten in the States and in Canada from the intellectual property office here and the, the patent and trademark office in the States is that if something is generated through ChatGPT, it cannot be registered as trademark or copyright because it's not a human creation. Now that wow. may change as we go through this iteration of where we are now, but currently that's the issue. Mm -hmm. And so again, it comes back to intention. Are you creating something with the intent to be able to protect it through registration? In which case, ChatGPT is not your best friend. If you're creating something because you want quick captions on social media, you don't really care. You're not trying to, you know, register it or protect it. It's an easy way to get significant content out. But that's a really good point. Do you know there's a, I think we talked about this in Arizona, there's a suit by several well-known authors, including the originator of The Sweet Summer Child, um, George R.R. R. Martin, where they are suing OpenAI on the basis that the tool was trained mm -hmm. On their books. Their argument oh. is, we've got copyright. We never gave you permission to use our books in this way. Oh, interesting. I am dying to see how that turns out. 
because yeah. of course I was following the actor strike too, yeah. which yes. was about, which all came down to AI and intellectual yeah. property and, and who would get credit for it. Exactly. Um, uh, listeners, everyone, <laughs> we don't have the answer to this. Just so you know, you're listening to someone who studies Gen AI and an intellectual property lawyer. And we're telling you this is unfolding as you're listening to this. Yeah. Like we, the cards are being laid down and we are deciding what it is right now in history. Yeah, it's completely uncharted waters. And this is the interesting thing. I don't know if you remember, maybe maybe two years back, there was a um, controversy over Chappelle and Chappelle's show on Netflix. And Dave Chappelle had said, so Chappelle's show, the, the um, episodes were supposed mm -hmm. to be released on Netflix. And he was encouraging mm -hmm. people to boycott it because he hadn't received any payment for it. And this is why. At the time that he created oh. his show... There were no streamers. This that business model didn't exist. That's right. So when when he did his contract, the contract would have mentioned probably DVDs and you know, um, to order things off the mm. cable. It didn't envisage streaming, so it wasn't part of the rights that he retained to himself. And with intellectual property, wow. you have to be really specific about what you grant and what you keep for yourself. And so he wasn't entitled to any royalties because it wasn't in the contract. Wow. So right. they just couldn't vision far enough about how content would be distributed in the future. Exactly. And that's Which what is, came up with the wow. strike. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's far out there, but not to us. No. I hope that people listening would think, actually, this is pretty close. They probably thought this was far out there just 20 years ago. And we're and like now we're talking about people's likeness, right? Their AI being used um, and, you know, c c can that be used um, exactly. without their consent, right? And Which, if anyone's interested in seeing a uh, um, portrayal of this, the new Black Mirror season, well, New, I don't know when this is going to come up, but the most recent one, I think it was season six, mm -hmm. has the episode, Joan is Awesome, which is all about not reading terms and conditions and buried in a 50-page terms and conditions, the grant of the use of the likeness forever and ever in whatever way they saw fit. Mm -hmm. Is this the one with, uh, she, she uh, spoiler alert, that she sees yes. herself in the show? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So context, if, you, if you're really super obsessed with this and you want to watch, you know, don't listen for the next two minutes, but um, basically <laughs> she finds out that she is in a show. She, imagine watching like Netflix and seeing yourself in a show and it's acting out your life. Mm -hmm. And that, that is all I'll tell you about the episode. And you can go play with that thought experiment there, which speaking of actually, I have... I, in every episode, Andrea, I do a thought experiment with the guest. Okay. And basically, this is just a total hypothetical situation related to the topic. Um, it's just free of the constraints of reality. Like, let's just go far to the point where people are wondering if we've had too much of our drink. <laughs> that is a great thought experiment, if you ask me. <laughs> so... Thinking about right now and Gen AI and how we're coming up with, we're, we're literally right now coming up with what intellectual property laws should look like for this. And now let's say, suppose 
all laws regarding intellectual property are suddenly abolished. Like we, you do not get to own your ideas because ideas exist everywhere, all of the time, all around you. How do you think that different industries would be affected? Like, are there unexpected in industries that would be affected? Would this lead to more innovation because people don't own ideas or would this lead to complete chaos? Like we could go oh in any direction. Goodness. That's a great question. Um, gosh, I think every industry would be affected. I think the obvious ones like would be in the creative sector, right? So films and books, et cetera. But down to supermarkets, right? Which are based on brands. Yeah. And who pays? Oh, that's a good thought experiment. How would supermarkets be affected by the abolishment of IP laws? I've never thought about this before. Yeah. Hmm. I think... Like the innovation chaos, oh, that's such, oh, it's a juicy question. I think, hmm. so I'm going to preface this by saying I have this ongoing conversation with my partner who is philosophically communist, which is a really interesting mix mm -hmm. as a business lawyer. But anyway, so we have this conversation mm -hmm. about the utopia and how my position has always been, how are you going to get people to do things if there's no reward for you know, working hard or inventing something. And he's like, that's because you've grown up in this system. If we were in a system where all your needs were taken care of, you would invent for the sheer pleasure of it because that's what your skill set was. And that's what brought you pleasure. You so, know what? I do think that pleasure would be a default. Pleasure and learning would be a yeah. default state of humans taken care of. That's it. So if we were in mm. that environment where you really were free, it may bring more innovation, right? We think of it now as I would only invent if I could protect it because otherwise people would steal it. But that's because mm -hmm. we're in a zero-sum capitalist world where... I was going to say the paradigm is, is capitalism, which yeah. means it has to be for something of, of maybe even monetary or wealth value, right? Yeah. But if we didn't have that, then arguably it would bring more innovation, because you're contributing to the entire advancement of the society. That's a great question. I'm going to talk to him about that when I get home. It's a great. Uh, you'll have to give me. You'll have to give me a follow up and, and see what yeah. you think. And what? But I want to go back to the grocery store because yeah. I'm still like I'm still fixated on where you know because a, a supermarket yeah. is something that everyone can relate to. So what am I missing? Like when I walk yeah. into a supermarket. Where's the IP? I suppose like yeah. the logo, like just the the, even starting the on the outside. So, <gasps> right. Oh my gosh. Brandon, all of the logos. We have the whole thing where you've got like the store brand costs less than the premium brand, but it's the same thing inside. If you read any of the like <laughs> Reddit or whatever, like it's the same thing, right? Oh my gosh. So yeah. What would happen? If the premium brands, if anyone could use them. You just blew my mind because I just thought, does literally anyone could call themselves yeah, Whole Foods? Anything. That's right. And you, there actually would be no consumer trust that you could build up because it's IP yeah. that has them reserve the name Whole Foods. That's exactly it. So how would you know? My mother, who's famously frugal, right? She is a bargain mm -hmm. shopper. Once she was visiting me and she's like, I got Tide, the laundry detergent, for 50% off. And I was immediately suspicious because Tide is never that much off. <laughs> no, it's expensive. 
Because it's, it's a premium brand, right? It's like Whole Foods doesn't have 50% off, but, you know, basic stuff. So I said, can I take a look at that? It wasn't Tide. It was Time with an M. But everything else was the same. It was the orange bottle with the circles. And I went mm-hmm. back the next week and it was off the shelves because I'm 100% sure that Tide filed something. <laughs> right? Of but, course. Of course. But it's the same thing because if you can't determine what is premium or what is better quality and what's not, that would lead to some chaos. Or that would lead or have a certain minimum level of quality across the board. So I think that your partner would be saying, um, this is heading in the direction of socialism, (laughs) which remember, not all, not all bad, right? Like there are blessings and curses to all, all forms of thinking about the paradigm of society. And and for this one, you know, because the good, the, the chaos part of it is that in the immediate future, we would not be able to determine like what is Sobeys, what is, which is Canadian and, you know, what is, I don't know, what yes. they got, Morton's they've got down yeah. the hall or down the street from me in, in New York and the brands themselves. But yeah. in a world where there's no IP around the products that you, and it's not brand related at all, then maybe it would be about the value of the product itself. Yeah. But then, yeah, but then who owns? Yeah. Wow. That's a tough one. Right. I asked you a tough one. That's a good that's, thought experiment. It's a good thought experiment though. It's going to keep me up at night, I think. Uh, yeah. Because we're so accustomed to live in an environment where we, your name and your brand is like what companies live and die on. They're whole people whose career is to help companies or individuals build brands and maintain them. So if you don't have a brand, what do you have in the marketplace? What is Coca-Cola without Coca-Cola? What's the Nike swoosh? Like it would change commerce entirely. Also, Mm. drug companies, right? Who spend billions of dollars because oh. they can get patents. But I actually... Right, so this, would they be motivated to do that without the patent? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, that might not be such a bad thing because perhaps we would put more money into prevention as opposed to cure. Preach. <laughs> I was going to say, man, like I don't know if healthcare is the best example here because... Yeah, no, I think that might be a good thing. I think that, that's what I'm saying. I think that might be a good thing for humanity. If you can't no, make I think we... drugs, <laughs> let's put it in the prevention. We could use a little chaos in the, most especially in this American healthcare space. Holy, they could use just a bit of chaos before we come yep. back to just a bit more socialism. Though <laughs> yeah. so that might, that might, that word, <laughs> get, get beyond the word to the idea of everybody yeah. should be taken care of, right? And IP yeah. should not get in the way of that. And um, even the fact that we call it property is very interesting. It is. To me. And then there are absolutely some, there's thought leadership around the fact that we should abolish it, especially with respect to thoughts and ideas and ways of doing things. Hmm. Um, there's definitely, hmm. I, you know, there's thought leadership around that, which is I am who I am and I should be able to say whatever and whatever's influenced me and you shouldn't be gatekeeping um, our ideas. I don't necessarily agree, obviously, <laughs> but, but there's definitely, and there's pros and cons to, to that, right? And and there's certainly an argument to be made, again, if we want ideas to be spread. I do think, and as I said at the beginning, for me, there is a difference between something 
it's not tangible because IP is intangible, but something that you've created with the intent, you know, it's it has a it has a form, right? It has a container. So a book or a course, which you've created with the intention of it being sold. I do think there's a distinction for me between that and an idea, especially if it's a philosophical or a thought leadership idea, where you do want humanity to get that idea, right? You do want, if it's a, if it's a idea that's for the good of us all, you do want it to spread. And for me, that's kind of the divide in line. Like there's IP that should not be property perhaps, and there's IP that is that has all the characteristics of other assets and should be able to be protected. Hmm. Yeah, I was um, even thinking to myself, like, just as you've been speaking there and thinking about why we call it intellectual property, and I was wondering where IP came from. And so I, I threw it in a little search there as we were talking. And, um, and it originated from the desire to recognize and protect creations of the mind, a wide range of intangible assets. So clearly, along the way, with literary and artistic works and designs and symbols and sculptures and statues, people realize, like, just doing this one time, like I created this, it's a value, you know, you're going to pay this much for a painting. It should keep its value. Like I think as capitalism, you know, we went into like early and mid stage, it was like, oh, wait a second. We need to find a way to put, put um, a framework around this. So, wow. Hmm. You know, it's all connected, Andrea. We knew we were going to be having a philosophical conversation about capitalism and socialism, (laughs) but here we are. I suppose, I suppose now that I've come to the, you know, nearer to the end of this talk, I should have started there with the word property in the name. How did I not come to this realization before? Of course it was going to be a conversation about that. Seriously. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me bring it back. Get too hype. I'm getting too hype. (laughs) So another thing that I have every guest do is... And they get to choose a segment and, you know, wishful thinking, baby thinking, and we chose overthinking. And we are going to look at some absurd definitions um, of pat. We're going to look at some patent descriptions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the patent description to you. And I want you to try and guess what the patent was for or what the, the, um, the item is. Okay. So... <clears throat> Let's start, and I'll just do a few. Okay. Okay. The description is a gravity-defying entertainment cylinder constructed of a helical spring capable of locomotion down inclined planes. This device exhibits properties of kinetic and potential energy transformation, providing visual and tactile amusement. Okay, oh my gosh. Even like, you know what? That was too hard. Was it pogo That's stick? A, oh, wow. No, but that but that was like in the realm. It's a slinky. <gasps> no. But like I was literally listening to me say that and I'm like, how is anyone even going to guess like the category <laughs> of this? And honestly, I can see how pogo stick, you would have got that. Like entertainment cylinder. Yeah. The thing helical that's springs, that's locomotion. That's wow. Yeah. Slinky's good. Slinky was downward. That's it. Because that's what was throwing me off. I was like, but pogo sticks aren't necessarily just downward. But I couldn't think of anything else. That's good. Yeah. See, like, I when I made the game, I'm like, I'm not gonna. It's it's a good thing I'm asking Andrea this because I would not win this game. (laughs) 
Okay, one more. Okay. Okay. <laughs> An electronic apparatus designed for the generation of rhythmic oscillations. This device features an internal motor system that creates pulsating movements, which can be adjusted in intensity and pattern. Okay. My head is going. Um, encased in a durable, ergonomically designed exterior, it is suitable for localized application, providing sensations intended for relaxation or muscle relief or personal enjoyment. So I know where my brain went. I'm going to say <laughs> to be, um, I don't know if you have children listening, massage wand, but, but can be used in different ways. You're actually right. Right. <laughs> it's a massage gun. <laughs> you little nasties. I know what you were thinking. <laughs> Listen, I was thinking it too. But like, you are right. It is a massage gun. <laughs> Listen, okay? See, patent descriptions can get confusing. The intellectual part of the, pro the property. How do you describe this stuff sometimes? That's hilarious. All right. Okay, Andrea, we, we are coming to the close of this soon. But um, on at near the end of each episode, the last segment is called Train of Thought. Yeah. So at the end of each episode, I ask my guests to continue the train of thought from the last episode. So it starts off with one, what would you say is the main topic of our conversation tonight? Main topic or theme? <laughs> what is intellectual property and should it be protected? I would say that it's a good theme. What is intellectual property and should it be protected? Now, the last episode when I asked them to sum up the, our conversation, we talked a bit about art and expressing, funny okay. enough, but they said this, the, the summary of the conversation is everything is connected to love or fear. Everything is connected Ooh. to either love or fear. So to continue this train of thought, what you have to do is let's think through how does, what is intellectual property yeah. And should it be protected, connect to everything comes down to love or fear. Yeah, this is which, brilliant. Which, by the way, wow. It's brilliant. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't have written that one better. It's exactly what we've been talking about, right? Are you creating out of love and the intent to share? Or are you hoarding out of fear? Mm -hmm. Are you acting out of fear of what will happen if you release your intellectual property into the world? Mm. and intent of the person taking it that are too. they yes. are they acting out of fear because they don't yes. think that they can produce an original yes. enough story that will garner views and engagement yes. and really get their ideas out there they're operating out of scarcity and not out of out of abundance which is another word for uh, love. yeah i would definitely put yeah. that in the same category for sure yeah. So then is intellectual property inherently out of fear or is it out of love? I think it depends on the intent. I don't think it's inherently mm. one or the other. It's like money is neither good or bad. It's what you do with it. I think it's mm. the same thing with intellectual property. It depends on the intent with which you create it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, so it has to be put into the core of it. Yeah. As in, because of course we can think of many, many reasons where intellectual property keeps an artist creating, like it keeps them being able to put oh, love yeah. out in the world. So we yeah. can think of definitely some love applications of it. Absolutely. I mean, everything is energy. So it takes energy to create. If you are only given out the energy and it's never replenished, you're going to run out of the creative energy with which to create. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. That is such a fabulous place to, to end our, our show together because uh, when I continue this train of thought, they are going to have to connect in the next episode, you know, what is intellectual property and uh, to whatever it is that we talk about there. So Andrea, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to leave with, you know, not so much about promoting services or products, but about like, what's that one idea you want to leave with people before we go? Begin with the end in mind. When you're creating, think about the end result. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And that's in art, that's in your business, in life. Begin with the end in mind. I love that. And as at the end of this podcast, this is what I had in mind, which was such a lovely conversation with you. So cheers to you. And thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I loved my conversation with Andrea. And when it comes to what I should do about someone taking parts of my TED Talk, I'm not sure it was fully answered here, but that's the part of thinking things through that we might not always like. You don't always get a perfect answer at the end. However, I do think I'm a bit closer. If what I would love is credit for my ideas while at the same time lifting up someone else and not deterring them from talking about digital well-being, then I think maybe I should reach out directly to her. Now, I will just have to let you know how this all goes on a future episode. So thanks for listening. 